streaming. Waiting for live video. Connecting live video. Go live. Okay, there we go. I think we are live this time. Uh, we may or may not have been live before, but apologies one way or the other. We are 20 pages a week going through First Chronicles with Philip Martin from Sharpsburg, Georgia, who's joining us at relatively short notice. And I uh, appreciate that very much that he's uh, able to pitch in, especially with uh, the weather situation that they're having there in the, the Southeast United States. Philip, welcome. Thank you for being here. It's good to be here. All right. This is a bit of a repeat for the two of us. We went through a little, <laughs> little uh, ramp up for a couple of minutes and realized we weren't going through. But anyway, uh, we are reading First Chronicles this week. Uh, we're wrapping up, or close to wrapping up, the first quarter of the material. The second quarter starts a week from Sunday. If you're starting your reading on Sunday, uh, reach out to me at halhammonds at gmail.com and uh, get a copy of the material for the second quarter if you haven't done so already. Uh, Philip, uh, give me your first impressions of First Chronicles, if you would. Sure. So, um, First Chronicles and the Chronicle co uh, combo, both of them, or the Quad, if you want to include uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, as some might be want to do, uh, as noted, is a bit of an esoteric text. And this is what I mean by that. It doesn't seem to initially find a spot to fit in. Sorry, Hi, are you having okay? trouble playing this video. It are doesn't we, like are, me. Are you following live? Are you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it was before or earlier. It should be live. Okay. I even heard. I even heard you. All right. Um, and we're still live. And we're still live. I apologize, folks, if you are messing with me. Or my computer is telling me that we're having trouble playing this video. But it was before earlier. It should be live. Okay. All right. Yeah, I just heard myself say it again. Okay, we're gonna go then. And if we uh, we get it, we get it. Thank you. Sorry for interrupting. It's it's just fine. Uh, that's just how things go these days. It's the, how things go when I'm in charge of the tech. Uh, <laughs> uh, Semper Gumby, always flexible. Uh, yes. that's, that's the way you think of things. So anyway, back back to thinking about First Chronicles, thinking about the, the Chronicles' work in putting together this text. Um, again, first impression. Really interesting text because of its esoteric nature. It's not like a lot of the rest of the historical narratives because there are some obvious um, aspects of it that show us conclusively early on that difference. And number one is its similarity to the gospel accounts. Just like the gospel accounts, and you can probably flip it around, the gospel accounts are modeling this way in, in some sense. Um, it begins with a similar kind of narrative of history. It talks about genealogy. It talks about the thread of... Israel that leads to eventually um, the potential for the Messiah. And the, the Chronicle text isn't so overt about the Messiah, but it is overt about its role of this is what a king should be like. Um, you know, uh, there, there's some aspects of it that simply say, we want to tell you that David slash Solomon, kind of Hezekiah, are what kings should be. Uh, and I think that's like First impression, uh, sometimes I kind of mentally categorize this as the equivalent to propaganda, where yeah. First and Second Samuels, First and Second Kings is the equivalent to historical storytelling. I, I think that's exactly right. That's, that's why we skip over the Saul story almost entirely. This is, this is all about how David puts you in a place to succeed. 
And and looking back at it from Ezra's perspective, assuming that you think Ezra wrote the book or put the book together anyway, which I think he probably did, given the similarity between the end of Second Chronicles and the beginning of Ezra, uh, there we're starting all over again, and we're starting in large measure to oversimplify things with the temple, and, and that's why there's so much emphasis on the temple in in First Chronicles. We're 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 starting over again. This is a reboot uh, of the nation, and we're going to do it David's way. And that's why we have so much emphasis on the positive aspects of David's reign. And uh, we more or less gloss over his negatives. Yeah, and I think a way to kind of capture that is that this, and I say propaganda, not all propaganda is bad. It's designed to narrowly reinforce um, a person, a story, or an event of significance to the people who care about it. And um, while I kind of set aside authorship issues as secondary to my concerns, um, if you place them kind of a sequence of these are post-exilic people people who have suffered through the exile and what what do they write about what do they want to tell their children how do they teach their children how they teach them about israel being israel when the israel they live in is not the israel of history this text does that it shows us from a structured narrative approach the messianic line but to them it would be the kingly line they wouldn't necessarily be overt about david as a linchpin to the Messiah at this point. Right. But then it also gives them the hint of what to look for in the future. When do you look for a king? This is the attributes, the ideas, and the line where your king should come from. Uh, and so uh, there's a big push in that sense, even though it does cover some of the key historical events. Um, I also note this, First Chronicles, doesn't have a lot of failure. Um, where the, the Samuel King narratives have failure um, explicitly. That's right, absolutely. Well, is there a particular story that jumps out at you that you'd like to discuss? Well, I'm sure that there's a lot of them in here, and I want to talk a little bit about um, the, the, tr- the jump here with Saul. The Saul narrative is just minimized down to um, just a few verses, barely even a chapter's worth in chapter 9. Uh, 35 to chapter 10 verse 14 and, and I think the the interesting thing about this is that it's so much not this is what I mean by that um, when we read through the first Samuel account which gives us the largest chunk of whom Saul was um, it's a very tightly woven narrative about Saul being the king that the people asks for. Um, he's really keyed into being a whole lot like some of the failed judges of the text of Judges. A lot of character attributes, behavior, setting. Um, his whole picture is not an Israelite king. He's not really a shepherd. He doesn't look like a Israelite. He looks more like the people around him. He, he kind of has the appearance, space, and, and demeanor of the nations around Israel. And so learning about Saul helps us appreciate David and what follows because of that. And yet when we get to this heavy Davidic-focused text, Saul isn't really mentioned at all, especially I think it's important when I think about how much Saul defined David. And that's all the backstory that leads up to why this story is so important because in 1 Chronicles, Saul basically gets you know, maybe nine verses that talk about his ancestry. Here's his line. Mm-hmm. So that's that's our backstory to Saul. 
And his backstory just says from Gibeon to, you know, um, getting us to Saul. And then the next thing that happens is Saul's second fall. Uh, his first fall really was when um, the, the spirit of the Lord was taken from him. But his second fall is at his demise, at his end. Um, and it's a very distressing end because it demonstrates a, a spiritual problem for the Israelite. Uh, and this is why this story is so important, uh, at least to me, in the bigger package of all this stuff. Um, I've got a secondary story that I would want to talk about, but it's a kind of a side point. Uh, so, uh, how's it let me do whatever I want, I guess. Oh, no, that's uh, okay. We can come back to that. Uh, so in this second section, this is 10, chapter 10, verses 1 through 14, um, it's a condensed version of what you see take place in the prior narratives, prior historical accounts, but it catches on a huge theological truth for Israel. When you go from Genesis to the temple period, the picture of heaven is generally go be with your fathers. And your fathers are the representation of what heaven would be. You're gonna go be with them. Mm -hmm. It's not till the latter prophets that you start getting spiritual revelation relayed to the text that says heaven is more than just proximity to your fathers. Uh, you're giving, you're getting spiritual realm described in stronger, more what we consider prophetic imagery concepts. So when Saul takes his life there, he is basically cutting himself off from two things. He's acknowledging that he's cut off from the kingdom. He will not be king. But he's also cutting himself off from the greater spiritual heritage of Israel. Because this final act of spiritual rebellion severs that tie going forward can't go be with Saul. You can't, go, you can't continue that line. There's nothing else there. So it's a huge theological marker in the middle of this text, which is not about him. Um, and I think that's, at least from a standpoint of understanding the theology of First Chronicles, is super important to me. Uh, it's not, because it's a crafted text where you can tell that this is someone from a writing standpoint that is looking back to history and we have inspiration to trust his account, but it's crafted in the sense that, hey, this is planned. This is not just a compilation of history, person, 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 person. It's arranged. It's set. Okay, so that's super important. The other story that's super important in First Chronicles is the absence of a story. And there's nothing substantial about Bathsheba in the text. Yeah. Um, you know, so that, that's like the story that's not a story that probably is the big story. But <laughs> it's not there, so I didn't know if it would fit the rules. <laughs> no, it's... That's interesting, though. The, the way that David is presented in the text, uh, Saul appears so that we can get to David. It's, it's not a story of the, uh, of the people of the Bible. It's a story of the nation. And from the chronicler's standpoint, the nation starts with David. Uh, Saul yeah. is a failed experiment. This is the way we wanted to do it. And to a certain degree, the, uh, the, the, uh, the writer in, in Samuel and Kings addresses the same sort of thing, especially in 2 Kings, when, I think it's chapter 17, you look back and say, the nation was destroyed, and it should have been destroyed, and let's talk about that. They did all these horrible things, which, by the way, we in the southern king, kingdom are also doing. It's, that's the way the, the people went, and we see the people rising and falling, the kings rising and falling, and Chronicles is, is just who you are as a nation, not even who they were, who we are, dating all the way back to, to Adam, really, in verse number one. We'll skip over the pre-flood people, more or less, because everybody's the same after Noah, or before Noah. 
but but after Noah, this is where we came from, and we've got little bits of heritage from this branch and this branch, but we're mainly here to talk about this one special family that, that came from Jacob, and especially that came from David. And, and David's role in, in creating the temple is emphasized so much that it's not really touched on much in Second Samuel. David is the one who plans the temple. David is the one who sets all these things in motion. And, and connecting, to a certain degree, I think you're right, connecting Jesus to David also, but especially yeah. connecting the nation to David. This is where we came from. Yeah, and I think you also could consider kind of this um, concept. You made a comment like Saul exists to bring us to David in First Chronicles, but on a theological, literary sense, that's why Saul exists too. Like that's his role in the storytelling of God's people side of things. Saul is intentional in many ways. Um, we realize that, you know, obviously free will exists and um, there's opportunity and, you know, option for someone to um, chart their own course. Uh, but the free will context of um, Saul's reign is the response to the request of the people. Um, it's that he's the king they right. wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he did all of his things by choice. And he could have chosen something else. Like he had options in that entire um, cycle of his days. Uh, and so again, kind of thinking through all of that, which is a really interesting uh, you know, component to me is to ponder and consider, okay, now why is the exilic writers, post-exilic writers working it this way? What are some things that are interesting? You know, what do I need to glean or understand uh, from it? So it's just, it's just really cool. Uh, I agree. And we shouldn't read First and Second Chronicles also with the the thought that we don't have access, or that the original the original audience didn't have access to Samuel and Kings. They have the negative aspect of David's character. It's it's not like we're hiding this. That's just not the purpose of this story. It's we're we're telling the the story of the nation, which is emphasizing, as you said, the positive. Yeah. Is there a particular verse that jumps out at you? That's a challenge for this text, um, in part because of its, its approach narratively, um, where it is set. But I actually have, um, uh, you know, a couple of things in mind when I come and start thinking about, okay, what's what's important? What's, what's going to resonate with me? Um, and I'm going to offer kind of a, a simple response um, to that. It's not so much a verse per se, but it's that general introduction. I'm going to break, break the rules a little bit. And talk about the um, one of the things that most folks don't like about Old Testament texts is actually one of the most important parts of the text of First uh, Chronicles as, as a as a package, and that's the family genealogies. Uh, in particular, I'm going to say my verse. If you need a verse, is going to be chapter two, verse one. But really, it's the entire genealogical record that this begins with. is It's what's really important as my one verse, because. Chapter 2, verse 1 reads, These are the sons of Israel, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And then it immediately shifts and goes, the sons of Judah, and so on. Um, because it's laser-like focus on bringing us David. Like, it's really heavily into David is what matters. The reason that's important is because it is a foundational groundwork for us to think about when the gospel accounts have their two large um, genealogies. And so 
this section, which typically gets whenever there's a listing of people or a numbers passage or anything like that, we just kind of go, we get stuck. Yeah. Um, and I want to encourage folks to, to not get stuck and do at least two things. If you're like me and you struggle with pronouncing some of these names, um, we are blessed to be able to pull out the Alexander Scotherbees of the world uh, and listen to them read it to us. <laughs> and so get your favorite audio Bible and have them read it to you. Um, that's the first thing. And the second thing, and this is really interesting to me and it helps me kind of appreciate this, find a reading of the text where someone reads it in either Greek or Hebrew. Um, and these these names sound more so, you know, contextually relevant to me. It, it gives the sense of the history to them. And when you do that, a verse that is plain, boring, all this is just families, it helps you reminder that, as a reminder that these people matter. This is a story of people woven into the story of redemption. Uh, and there's all kinds of intricacies in the rest of First Chronicles that are like kind of playing off portions of history and you can dissect them. But this is the thing that's really kind of um, super important to me uh, as a verse. And so if you're going to pick a verse, it's chapter 2, verse 1. But it's really that whole first two-chapter segment that really kind of breaks this all out. I, I like that. I When I lecture on First Chronicles, I'll uh, suggest that people imagine this section being read by Paula Dean or Minnie Pearl or Dolly Parton, somebody in this outrageous southern accent just taking you to the family wall. And, and these are, this is your people, this is your kin, and just going one by one and telling stories. And it's, it's funny how some of these stories, especially in these tribes that had become incorporated into Judah, bits and pieces, uh, because of the various problems that they had, how functional Simeon ever was is a little bit bit fuzzy to me uh, Benjamin being incorporated early on and then exiles coming from these other tribes a few of them are mentioned there they bring little bits of family history with them and they drop these strange little nuggets of family history in the middle which we don't see anywhere else the Ephraim and his Ephraim's kids invading the Philistine territory and taking or trying to take their cattle and getting killed back apparently back during the time of, of the exit or the time of Egypt we don't know anything about that it's but the family was telling these stories and this is this is who your people are and and celebrating and and maybe a little bit uh, mourning the the difficulties but family's important clearly in in the chronicles yeah, absolutely um, so, uh, you know, I think that's just kind of like the, the, the really interesting single verse component of it. Like if you're going to pick a verse, pick that family side of things, that's the thing to start with. It really kind of sets the stage for the rest of the theology and historical narratives that are attached to it. Absolutely. Well, if you had to pick one word to focus on, what would you pick? So uh, all Israel, uh, about to squish, squish that together. Um, uh, but it is actually the way that David is described. And I think it's important because of why this text matters. Um, if we go back to the time of David and Solomon and Saul, which is the, the, the bridging spots of this place in history, all Israel meant physically all Israel. Uh, when you get to Solomon, you have the largest eccentric push out of the ring of power where it, it's beyond the Canaanite region. When you say all Israel there, on a physical sense, it's this big thing. There's no kingdom split. Um, there is no um, 
spiritual division slash breakup of the nation into captivity that's going to take place over a series of um, responses. Um, and then when they write all Israel, you ask yourself, why are they doing this? Because yeah. they know. Um, when this text is written, uh, again, likely after the exile, likely after the rest- restoration of the temple proper space, somewhere in that time frame, they know the, the kingdom gets destroyed uh, and broken and rebuilt and reforged in some ways. Uh, so when they say all Israel, I look at it as a prophetic concept for them in the present tense, that they are now still all Israel. Of the divisions that were the result of the spiritual trauma they inflicted upon themselves have been healed. And so this text, as a propaganda-ish context, is designed to help them see that they still are all Israel. So the David of all Israel is the all Israel that they are part of. Um, and so I think that's probably, if you're going to try it, what's the phrase, word, context, right there, that can fit for First Chronicles. It has to be that. It might also be that for Second Chronicles, if you were to ask me, like, what's the next thing? Same thing, because uh, the same narrative element pushes forth. Um, and here's the here's a way to think about it. From the first history of Israel, which goes from exile from the garden to, let's say, Moses slash um, Joshua, you have this build up to Moses being the kind of leader they need. And the mantle gets transferred to Joshua. So it goes Moses, Joshua. Well, then you have the build-up, the second phase, which is to David, the king that they need, right. and David to Solomon. And so all Israel is united in both of those settings. All Israel escapes from captivity in Egypt. All Israel um, is under the shepherdship of David and grows to its economic and you know highest powerful point under Solomon. Same kind of thing with Joshua. They get their strongest military rise under Joshua. And so there's some great kind of repeat events that take place there. Well, is to carry that the next step, is there a comparable character, uh, would you call Zerubbabel a comparable, comparable character or Nehemiah or Ezra? Because they don't seem to be in line with that sort of, of national figure. Well, I think what you get is you get Hezekiah, at the closing out of this text, um, pre, you know, the last gasps of them, and then you get the the, the weight. Um, I, I don't think what you're getting when you have what we consider the second temple, second temple period, a next leader, because they're all waiting for the next leader. Um, you have had every one of the seeds planted for the Messiah by this point, um, and we talk about it being a silent period. It's more about a growing period. Uh, that exists between the closeout of the minor prophets until John, when all the seeds that are planted have to take root, have to be watered, and have to grow to the proper time. Right, right. Is uh, I find maybe it's just me. You were talking about family and, and the sons of of day, uh, the sons of Judah or sons of Jacob. Sorry, yeah. the a couple of tribes, if I remember right, it's Zebulun and Dan, have completely disappeared. At this point, they're not mentioned in First Chronicles. Uh, several of the others are mentioned briefly. It appears that when the Transjordan tribes were taken captive, and, and again, Second Kings doesn't talk about this. Uh, First Chronicles does. Evidently, Tiglath-Pileser uh, took them into captivity before the days of Sennacherib. And, and some of them 
drifted down into Judah. And there, you like to think, anyway, this is an extreme example of, of something that's been going on for a long time. You mentioned Hezekiah before. There were people in the north that drifted down to the south, temporarily or permanently, and attached themselves to the line of David, uh, are renouncing Jeroboam and, and the golden calves and saying, this is where I want to be. It's, it's good to see that it's not just Judah and Levi hanging on through all of this. It's mostly Judah and Levi. But yeah. the, uh, the other tribes are still there in spirit and they're in person as well. Yeah, and that's, again, a, a, a reflection of them acknowledging the reality and giving us um, an account of what they understand their history to be. Uh, again, it kind of puts us into our looking at the, um, the gospel accounts, uh, the writing of that era, uh, and we can see, again, all those parallels to how God's people think about their spiritual heritage. We do the same thing. Um, if you think about the way in which we interact with the history of local churches and the spread of the gospel in the Southeast or in um, the United States, we literally do the same kind of things talking about the heritage of local churches. Hey, who helped start this church? Right. Um, you know, who, who, who was the first person to think about this is a good place for believers to assemble? Um, who preached here? Um, you know, uh, who, who's part of that? Who served as shepherds here? Um, and very often, when there is a blight upon that history, where there's someone whose moral failings didn't meet the biblical standard or the rebellion became obvious, we observe the historical Passover. Yes. <laughs> so. We, we absolutely do. But you know, who you are is largely dependent on where you come from, uh, who your, your people are, where what your heritage is. And, yeah. and I think that we can become historians to the point of, of forsaking the, the current, the modern day. But, but it's, it's important to know where our heritage is. Certainly in yeah. Christ, it's dating back to, to Acts 2 and, and to the life of Jesus himself. That's, that's a big part of it. Well, thank you very much, Philip, for joining in. I uh, appreciate your time and your patience. Glad to do so. It's a, it's a good study. If you if you haven't made it all the way through First Chronicles, uh, you, you can do this. It's, yeah. It is important. There's there's some good stuff in there. Second Chronicles is not as difficult as, as First Chronicles. Uh, and, and again, the second quarter is going to start after that. So continue with your reading. God bless you in it. Thanks to Jerry Tesh and the Narrow Way guys, www.narrowway.com, for our introductory music. Uh, keep reading. Until next time, read your Bible.